our friend Zig coming in the top. Today on the show, we have me and Coda being interviewed by Mike Watt on the Watt from Pedro show. This has been a goal for Coda and I for quite some time. And it wasn't a goal just for notoriety or uh, it was a goal because of a certain circumstance. So we met Watt at the Grog Shop on the Missy Men tour for his third rock opera. And we gave him our demo. And you know, anyone who's in a band or who has made any type of music, you know when you give something your demo, it's that kind of like, here you you go. I want to hear nothing and everything at the same time. And it, it's, you know, it's scary. It's scary. They get, it's it's like a weird, a weird asking someone out on a date or something. You immediately get rejected or hear things you don't want to hear or you get embraced and... So it was like that, and then we give Watt the the demo, and he was like, "I'll play this on my radio show," and we were like, "What? Oh, cool, sick!" And um, so we would listen to the Watt from Pedro show relentlessly for a couple of years. We we're like, "He's gonna play it," and I'm sure it just got lost in the van, but it was never never really heard it. This is the next level being interviewed on the show. This is a, a dream come true. So fucking rad. And Watt does it for so many people. He makes five of these a week. He promotes so many bands. This guy's done so much, he doesn't have to give back as much as he has, but he is. This was a complete trip to hear Watt talk about C-level tunes, because me and Cody have spent so many hours talking about Watt tunes and what Watt's doing. It was a complete honor, and I'm super stoked to share it. If you haven't followed the Watt from Pedro show, make sure you do it. Five of them come out a week. He does a, it's like three hours of music and in betweens interviews with different bands and different artists. And Watt holds no bars and he's going to expand your mind. You're going to hear things you never thought you would hear before and a lot of Coltrane. So this is just the interview bits of me and Coda talking to Watt. And if you, I recommend going to hear the whole thing and hearing our music on the Watt from Pedro show. Um, and you'll hear the songs he's talking about, but... You're just going to hear what they are in this one. And we're going to start with the sound check. So here's me, Coda, and Watt. Alright. We're tracking. Hey, and I'm getting a call from Watt. Perfect. Nice. Yo. How you doing, David? Not bad, Mike. How are you? Now, you by yourself or you got some band members? I got uh, Cody with me. Yeah, I'm here. I knew it was going to be another cat. Because you uh, need to that. Well, I need you both to talk. All right. Hey, what? This is Cody. Okay. You know, like kind of sound check, so you got to keep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> can you hear both of us? If we're just. Are we sounding okay? You got to keep going so I can. Yeah. You know, just so. Check so uh, <laughs> we're just here checking <laughs> and sound checking for what? The sound check. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. I J K right. elemental P Q R S T. Okay, good, good. Now <laughs> that's the way you're gonna talk, right? Because when you yeah. you know the sound check trick, you do real soft, then the gig comes, you play all loud, right? Me right. Do... Okay. <laughs> now I think this will be this will be the yeah this will be about where we're at. All right, right. Who wants to go first? You know, I'm gonna go through each of your music journey. All right. Well, why don't we go with uh, Cody? Because uh, we've been we act for a bit before. Well, C comes before D. There, there we go. <laughs> cool. So, um, hold on, we're gonna do the show. Okay. Off for Pedro show. Happy Monday. Last Monday, 
March. Almost a done deal. We start off with every time we say goodbye. John Coltrane live, November 29, 1961, and sea level with lover. People. Brother Matt's at the Love Grotto on the Pleasure Point because we're still in quite quarantino mode. But I'm not totally man alone because those software engineers in Estonia with the righteous Skype software, I got Coding David from Sea Level all the way from Cleveland. Welcome aboard. How's it going? How's it going? Well, how's it going? I'm doing this show, and you're the guest. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. This doesn't get any cooler. Yeah. This is an honor to talk to you, Watt, and we just appreciate you having us on. Okay. Okay. You know, uh did have a little bit before with David because of that benefit that and being on his show, but that was months ago. Right. Yeah. And I promised David that I would return the favor. Well, thank you so much, man. It was appreciated. And I did listen to that episode, so I'm privy to everything that you guys talked about. Yeah, well, that was his show. He ran it. I tried to be a good guest, Cody. An awesome episode for me as a listener to experience. Okay, now you're a fucking guest also. <laughs> now let's 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 get into your fucking journey through music. Cody, please bring me your earliest musical recollection. Actual memory in life. When I was uh, when I was about five years old, my mom picked me up from kindergarten and took me to go meet Ozzy Osbourne. And that, that really is the earliest memory I have. Did he sing for you? He didn't. No, it was it was like the a fucking music. That reunion tour they did or whatever. Okay, but okay. yeah. Okay. Um, Look, it's a Watt from Pedro show. There are no hard questions and there are no wrong answers. <laughs> so you're safe, Cody. Now, where was this? Was this Cleveland? Okay. Eat and greet. Let, let me ask you. Let me ask you. Well, forget that. You know, he's bad. You know, I saw them a couple times. He, totally. When I saw Black Sabbath, he never stood in the middle. Well, He was the guitar player. But anyway... Back to your story and your music. In the pad you grew up there in Cleveland, was there any musical instruments? Guitar, but he was never like a trained musician. He was more of a self-taught guy. And he would, as opposed to like learning riffs, he would kind of just make up his own riffs. And he didn't really know chords. He kind of just did it his own way. And so I was inspired from that. And at a young age, around maybe... 10 or so, I started to pick up the guitar, and that was the first instrument that I started playing on. Well, that's why I'm going to ask you, because there's a guitar around, and your pop wasn't being creative on it. Did did you jump on? And you did jump on. But before you jumped on, what about grade school? Were you in the fucking marching band or the choir, shit like that? Yeah, I did. Actually, I played saxophone in grade school, but that was right around. Which one? It was tenor. Wow, like John Coltrane. Yeah, but it was actually around the same time that I was picking up guitar, so I was more interested in guitar and not as interested in saxophone. But I did can do. I you, can I ask you a question? Yeah. The sound of the saxophone blowing hard in a fuzz guitar. Quite similar. 
Yeah, I've always <laughs> felt that. I've always fucking felt that. And you know, sax was real important to early rock and roll and before that R&B, right? Totally, and it's one of my favorite instruments, but I feel like as a kid, it just didn't have the same sort of like appeal because I, I said I met Ozzy Osbourne, so clearly I was coming from a heavy metal sort of young but also, also, I got I gotta, Cody, I got to imagine the material. You're probably playing shit for the school. Yeah, yeah, they had was playing more like simple stuff, but I did do a uh, the talent show they had. I played "Smoke on the Water" on the saxophone, and then set the saxophone down and picked up my guitar and played it on the guitar. All right, and I guess you played the guitar part. Yeah, I just played the one riff on, on yeah, both instruments. Yeah, if you listen to that fucking song, Cody, not to cut you off or anything, but the bass guy. I think it was Robert uh, Glover, right? Yeah, yeah, Robert Glover. I think he even wrote Ro the fuck. Roger part. Glover, that's what it was. Sorry. Yeah, that's the Roger. And I think he's the second baseman. I think he wrote the words too, just like Geezer did for Black Sabbath. Look, what was the first record you bought with your own money? The first record I bought with my own money. Um, it's hard to. It would have been some sort of metal record. So you're into genre. I, w I was as a kid. As a kid growing up yeah, in, yeah, in now, Cleveland, it was real. My life was real genre based until I got no, a little bit older. It was, man. That's what it was like when the record companies ran the show. Totally. But we grew out of that shit, right? Music is music. Yeah, exactly. So, so what about the first gig you went to? It was probably that fucking Ozzy gig, right? No, actually, the first gig I went to is kind of it's it was a it was a cornier rock band of the time. They were called Stained. I don't know if you remember. They, yeah, uh, but. I earliest memory was five years old meeting Ozzy. Yeah, so I had met him, but I think that was like just a meet and greet. And then I actually saw Sabbath on their reunion tour, which was maybe like six months later or something like that. Ah, uh, so you saw in between that time a gig. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I saw a gig and it was actually... They're called Stained, huh? Yeah, they're called Stained. They were... Stains, they were from East L.A. and they were a great band. They made an album for SST. Yeah, no, that this is not that type of music. This was more just like early 2000s radio rock. But the cool oh, thing... Oh, here we go. Getting into types and genres for again. Sure. But the cool thing about that first gig experience was it was my birthday. And the guy took the time to sing Happy Birthday to me from on stage or whatever. That's Fuck, how do you know you were there? How do you know it was your birthday? I had a, my mom had made a cardboard sign <laughs> that we wrote, It's My Birthday. <laughs> Well, well put. Well put. <laughs> Watt, Watt has, he's in his place now with the little pat on the top of his head. Okay. Okay, so what about this, Cody? Not after school, I graduate, but after school in the afternoon, and you get the garage band or the bedroom band or the basement band going. Did you do that? Yeah, so the first band I did was kind of, like you said, just a garage band, and we were called Wasted Generation, and it was just a few of my friends. None of us really knew how to play our instruments and i think we actually had all had instruments but wanted someone else in the band to play that instrument so it was it, but we never learned any songs or got past the garage at all it was just a practice uh, well learn songs you were trying to copy off records or write your own yeah exactly yeah we were trying to copy off like i remember we tried no to me and d boone did the same we did, there was no culture for until the movement uh so, so uh Look, I want to play Burn Your Own Gasoline. Awesome. 
Juan for Pedro show that chunk of music started off at sea level from Sea Town. Burn your own gasoline. Dustin Wong after that, inward, outward, skyward. Dustin Wong's got a brand new album. It's called Internal Hot Springs and it's fucking bitching. It comes out this week. So check it out. This week. Fuck, Thursday's D Boone's B Day. Uh, Tobacco after that from Pittsburgh, not far from you. Brand new album. He's got everything around the knife and it's fucking bitching. Love it. Uh, Marco Sarato and uh, Raul Cantizano in Sevilla, uh, Spain, Seville. Uh, they got a brand new album out. Everybody, it's springtime for album rock. Uh, with uh, Contravetta. Uh, Wharton's expanding jazz band, Wharton Tears. Uh, Cat, New York City. I got to record with him once with Bob Quine and Lee Ronaldo doing uh, Bobby Dylan's Freeze Out. He's a beautiful band. He's got a new record. Morton's Exploding Jazz Band, Magic Sky, and there's people like Thirst and Glenn Bonica and shit like that. Tommy Dahill from Alaska with Sylvain, for Sil Sylvain. We lost Brother Sil a couple months ago. Great, great cat. New York doll man. Uh, Dirty Guitar Politics from Bombas Prennan. The Crevice Tool, Dirty Guitar Politics. Sounds like somebody's fucking got hiccups. Uh, hands rotten after that from Switzerland with Rakim Mars, Space Pack. And then finally, Backpack Train, Sea Level. So let, let's get over to David. David, your earliest musical recollection, please. Um, I think the earliest musical recollection I have is listening to – so my dad works construction. My dad and my grandpa own a company, and the, they're a two-man team, right? And uh, is hearing blues records, just hearing B.B. King, hearing all the blues guys coming from the radio in their shop or the radio in their cars. So that that would have to be the earliest music I can remember. No, that's all right. That's all right. That's a good memory. And in the pad, are you C-Town too? Are you Cleveland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so in that pad, was there instruments? No, there wasn't at first. Like my my grandpa played a accordion, and uh, my dad always liked uh, liked piano and uh, blues guitar, right? And my brother eventually got a guitar, and he my younger brother, and he worked on it for a couple years, and it kind of sat around, and that's that's when I I picked it up. So I went over and was trying to figure it out, and like was trying to learn riffs from like uh, the Blues Brothers film. Like blues was a big deal at my house. So that's that's kind of like where it started. Is my brother? Well, what about school? Were you in the choir, the marching band, or shit like that? Uh, I was in choir, and uh, then I took general music, which is the kids that didn't want to be in choir or marching band, and like that was like around middle school, and that's when I really started falling into the guitar, and uh, trying to figure it out on my own. So I kind of I kind of dodged all the academic education education, which well, I it doesn't seem into. like. What I've noticed, David, is that there don't seem to be a lot of music when there is a music program, right? Some schools got rid of them. That's why I always ask that fucking question. Yeah. But it seems like they never want to get into guitar much. Now, I've had guests where they did learn guitar in fucking elementary school and, and uh, junior high and shit like you're talking. But usually it's it's brass for some marching thing for the football game, right? Or it's, or it's uh, like a... Uh, an orchestra, a band, a big band for right. uh, school, school uh, either helping with a play or some kind of like uh, assembly shit, right? Yeah. So, uh, so you, what you do is you man up and go man alone. Right. 
Yeah, so I just started picking at it myself. Right? You just uh, like listen to records and try to copy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing the record thing. And then like a tabulator became a thing in high school. I'm like, oh, I can find someone else to try to figure it out. <laughs> I can try to see if they figured it out, what I couldn't figure out. A lot of Do you like that form? Do you like that form of uh, talking? Um, I guess, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's always fucked up for me, you know. <laughs> but but the notes and staves are hard too. Right. What right. I got in, what I got in was uh, more just blocking off chords and bars and shit. But like cheat sheets. But uh, the tab, it's that that's a hard way to implement licks and riffs right. and rhythm. And the tab is probably the best for maybe riffs if you don't know how to read notes and staves. Right. Right, well, and it's and it goes back to like a lute music. It's uh, as far as in music history, that's with stringed instruments. They would tab it out, so it's it's a old form, just like um, uh, sheet music. But it for stringed instruments, it makes sense, right? You, here's the fret. Here's the where you put your finger. It, you know, it's a. It kind of gets. The, is, yeah, but the problem is it don't carry no time weight. Right, right. That is the only. Yeah, you gotta that's learn how to do that. Playing. <laughs> it doesn't tell you how that number five lasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the number three lasts. So, okay, yeah, maybe where you put your finger on the fucking string, but as far as like, anyway, look, uh, they're just, j- just ways of trying to uh, bring to another dimension the actual dimension of performing it, right? Right, right. That's when the listening comes, you know, okay, now you got rid of the physical thing. Where do I put my finger? And then you have to listen to it. So it almost right. in a way maybe, maybe that helps develop the ear though. Right, it's kind of half and half, and I think it's it depends on the person because like uh, I, with it is weird to, with your comment on um you know, in school it's brass instruments and stuff, but those are expensive. Guitars are well, cheaper. Yeah. You yeah, know yeah. what I mean? But the guitar. You, you want to know real expensive, David? <laughs> well, me and me Boomer boys, right? We're thirteen in nineteen seventy. Yeah. Keyboards. Right. Keyboards. That's why we knew it. We didn't know anybody who played them, man. Even a cheap, like electric. I think Univox made the first electric that was like four hundred dollars, which Jeez. is like you could buy a Volkswagen. <laughs> wow. Watch gas for it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so and that's why my theory, David, uh, rock and roll went to the guitar because it was more kind of because rock and roll is actually a piano. And- right. It's well, it's strung right, and you're you're doing the same thing. There's just less strings and less eye. It's supposed to three strings per note. You got one, unless you got like a twelve string. But um, it, it I just found it interesting because guitar is harder to do physically, maybe than brass instruments, but it's way more affordable. And you think it would? I don't know. I don't know. Here's the here's the thing about stringed instrument. You put your finger, you hit the string, there's the note. Right. With the fucking brass, a lot of that note comes from your fucking lip. Yeah, you do got to really feel the the, um, you the, notice, the so interval. You, you notice the fucking bugle don't have fucking vowels. Right. <laughs> it's all in the ear, I guess. Yeah, that's it's, that's a, it's way and the lip, the lip, And also the tongue, the way the tongue gets in there and right. shit. So look, look, they're all challenges, and they're all. <laughs> what about the fucking drummer who has to do ten things at once? <laughs> Georgie told me it was like balancing on his tailbone. And, and, and they gotta carry the most. That's right. You gotta carry all that shit schlep, right? The big schlep. <laughs> so, what about you, like Cody, uh, after school with the garage band, basement band, bedroom band? Yeah, so I I did that for a little bit, but it wasn't really. Um... 
it wasn't really satisfactory where I ended up finding my musical where I got into music more was once I started to go and venture out into open mic nights. And that's actually how I met Dave. Yeah. So I was going to get to that. You met, but so, so you left the band thing and you went for man alone, like singer songwriter. So you start writing songs or were you copying? No, it was more so like the open mic scene around here was inviting to where they would have a house band. And if you were a younger kid playing, say guitar, you could get on stage and, play with the house band and just go through a Jimi Hendrix tune or a Black Sabbath tune, whatever it may be. So it was just copying songs, but so not to where you had to like go out all by yourself and just do it on no, your own. No, kind of kind of like a hybrid karaoke. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's it. They would call them open jam nights instead of open mic nights, and I guess that's that was the proper term. Instead of but... the karaoke machine, you had the karaoke band. You know, I did that once with these guys. It's right. called punk rock karaoke, where we we let these kids come up and sing, and then we would be the backup band for them. That's I awesome. did it for about a year. Yeah, with uh, Steve Soto, a great cat, and uh, Greg Hetson and Derek O'Brien, and some of the guys from the hardcore uh, circle jerks. So, nice. so, so, yeah, I was going to say. But the idea of, and maybe that's what this guy, these back in guys did at your fucking. Uh, open mic night to see those kids get lit up by being the singer for a song was just fucking a lot of the fucking uh, I don't know spirit of the movement for even sure. though nothing was original there but just the act that they got to come up stage and be in the band for a song yeah and it, it was definitely in a bar that was like we shouldn't have been in me and Dave were way too young to be there but yeah. we were just accepted by everyone because we were the all little right, kids right. did you see you play did you see him play what happened yeah so the first time I actually saw him play wasn't at that bar but my mom my mom was a bartender at this bar called the Phoenix and two. Dave and then Dave it was called the Phoenix too because there was another one around but it had nothing to do with the other one but <laughs> Dave would go up there and play, and my mom told me, uh, you got to see this kid. He can play like Jimi Hendrix. And Dave, was a, he's a few years older than me, so I think I was 13 and he was 16. 15. And um, <laughs> so I wasn't actually allowed to go to the bar, so I saw Dave play at this sort of like county fair type deal. It was called the Family Fun Fest, and it was basically <laughs> Dave with the band from the open mic night doing the same sort of thing but i remember the first thing i saw him play was little wing by Jimi hendrix and i was immediately like i want to i need to be in a band with this this kid <laughs> okay so what you have a powwow yeah so i met him that i don't i, I don't know i don't think i met you that day we had a powwow at a uh there was a, mic night. There was a, no, it was an ACDC cover band called oh, Thunderstruck that played at the bar <laughs> and my mom let me come up to learn how to do sound so i was actually there as like an in turning sound man and i met dave that night and um we had a powwow and then eventually i ended up sneaking up to the mic night on a night that my parents weren't up there and playing a song with dave and it's like two guys on two guitars there's no drummer there's no stick man no yeah there was a house band so there was a drummer well, no, and, no, no. oh yeah yeah just us two as far as like friends yeah right. yeah yeah so like when i was i didn't do any music in school i would do music out of school so my dad would take me up to these blues jam nights because that's what i was learning and so for a few years i was just going up and sitting in with all all these house bands and learning these rock and blues standards and then um some of the nights got shut down and the phoenix 2 had a mic night 
And then so I started to go there, and the, uh, the guys were having this big ACDC show. I go to check it out, <laughs> and I met Cody, <laughs> and then we've been playing since. Yeah, that oh, was, man. That Look, was... we're at the end of the first hour, March 29, 2021. Uh, Wofford Pedro's a special guest. Cody and David from Sea Level. Hold on, hold tight. Watch for Pedro Show. We start off the second hour with Sea Level. Do it easy four. Then Ben Salter out of Tasmania with Darane. De- uh, Justice Yeldon, that's uh, Brother Lucas in Sydney with My Lees. Andy Kerr out of the Netherlands, originally British Columbia. Victoria, other island, big island. OBTR, don't know what that means. Hi-Fi Club with Eugene Chabon, brand new. Tumor. Eugene's beautiful cat. Used to play the electric rake in Psychobilly, right? And then finally, uh, this is like reggae, but with start with an A, A-gay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's from Sea yeah. level <laughs> Now, when do you guys get the name Sea level um, So during all this time when me and Cody were playing, we didn't have a band, but we were trying to figure something out, right? Like, I was like, you would come over, I would teach you stuff, and you would teach me stuff. Well, we had started a band before Sea level called Aberration. Oh, that's and right. And that was our first band that we did gigs with, and we only did maybe three, two. Two, two or three gigs, and it was mostly covers. It was a couple originals, and we would switch off. So I would play guitar on the songs that I wanted to play, and Dave would play bass, and then when he wanted to play one of his originals or a song he wanted to play, I would play bass, and we'd switch back and forth but we we're still a power trio and no, well, um, well wait a minute you're a trio where who's the third dude <laughs> the third dude was uh my our friend nick van neal he was the drummer that we started okay okay we got to give him credit yeah the biggest, <laughs> the, the biggest fuck up the Minutemen did was not having george fur hurley at the front of the fucking stage you know the last 20 years i've always put my stick man up front so let's not neglect. Okay, no, go I, ahead. I've always dug that about your live shows. But yeah, our first drummer was Nick Van Neal, and we started that band with him. And then that band just kind of fizzled out because um, it just Dave was doing a lot at the time, a lot of different bands, and he was just kind of just subbing in and different things. And uh, we ended up, just, that just fizzled out. And then Dave, Dave had the idea to start Sea level Right. So I was playing with this other group of, guys from my high school because me and cody went to different schools um and we hit we were on our way to a gig and my dad was driving like i don't think i could drive at the time and it was a him and the bass player of that group were like what should we call the band we need we're playing we're going to this gig we gotta have a name for the band and uh they're joking around they're like well you can call it c dash level and dur because the drummer's name was this guy named tom dur and everyone, it was kind of like a bit D-E-R, you know, dirt. And, like, so it's spelled out Clevelander, right? And uh, we went to the gig. We used that name. And then all those guys went their own ways. And I was, at the time, like, writing a bunch of songs. So I just, I like that, I like the C level. I thought that was a cool, a cool bit. So I stuck with it. Okay, okay. So, now... Do you you don't ask the same stick man back into sea level? Yeah, he ended up going somewhere out of state, and I think he's a mountie now. Like he he does some wild wildlife work. Mountie, <laughs> that's Canada. Yeah. Okay. Now, so so you get another stick man, you and, and what 
do you still switch off on the bass guitar thing? No, once we started sea level, it was more concise where Dave had this batch of songs that he wrote. So he had brought me in to play bass and he brought a guy named Jay Sparrow in to play drums. And he kind of, we went down in the basement and he showed us these crazy songs and none of them were the same sort of uh, feel. And both of us were just kind of immediately drawn in because at that age, everyone that was writing songs was kind of writing one style or feel. And Dave had just dropped this batch of songs on us that was all sort of everywhere. And so how long was it before the first gig? Um, man, maybe two, two or three months. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't long. And maybe. our first gig was actually at the Grog Shop, which was where we have seen you play several times. And um, Well, it's actually two Grog Shops, right? Yeah, it was a uh, it was the la the later one, the one where it is now. Okay. So. Well, the other one it wasn't far, but it was in much yeah. different. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and how was the gig? Was it a success? It was. It the crowd was mild. There wasn't very many people there, but I think the people there enjoyed it. Right. If we did a so we just did a our tenth anniversary our tenth anniversary I can't talk of the same night, and that night probably had like. 10 people <laughs> and uh, it was cool because yeah, it was a all, all those uh, character builders right and a lot <laughs> of those guys stuck around and came back 10 years later when we had like the place yeah. sold out shows to go you shows to go you yeah do you know what uh, i have to tell you even a packed house it could be a lame gig you, you right. got that many people throwing fucking piss and shit and <laughs> puke and Definitely. i've had nightmare things that's why i always ask about those kind of things i want to play uh uh, clean his hands. We, we gotta be a little more careful. Okay, here we go. Watch for Peter Show. Sea Level started that chunk of music with cleanest hands. And uh, for Barcelona, Mechanica Classica with Romero Scopion. Also from that town, Nielsen with Around the Village Green. And then uh, in Berlin, but uh, he's from uh, Terracina, Manlio Maresca. Great guitar man. He, he don't use a strap. He goes and borrows a chair so he can fucking hike one leg up on there and just hold it up. <laughs> it's a trip. And Manuel Ferrer's with uh, Janelle. 40 Ways from Sunday. Come on, come on. And Sea Level finally with A-Punk. Okay, so what about studio stuff? When did Sea Level go into the studio? So probably that same year. Um, near the end of it, we, there's this guy around, um, Cleveland, you might've met him. His name's Billy Morris. He's like, uh, he was a hair metal guy. He played in, um, uh, the, he was like a guitar player in Warrant, like in their second reformation or something. And he's one of those guys that was always trying something new. Like he would own a venue and then he would move it somewhere else. He would open a studio so near the end of 2011, I think we booked some time with Billy and went in and tracked our first couple, our first like half the record. And then we, we did two things with that, two like two different um, sessions. And, uh, and it, was, it, was really, it was really weird. Never recording before, he didn't know, well, is this the take? Is it supposed to sound like that? Is that how we do? Are we done? Oh, cool. I guess we're done. And like... It was a it was an interesting environment. Like it was a more rock and roll than I think um, studios tend to actually be. You know what I mean? And um, but that's that's a. Do you remember anything else from those sessions? 
Nah, yeah, like you said, it was very weird trying to figure out the recording process. A lot of the recordings on that we did were live, and it right. was just us in a room just playing the song like we normally would. And at the end, we'd be like, "Is was that good?" <laughs> and and we would get the from the producers to be like, "Yeah." So so so, what you're saying? Tell me if I'm got this straight. Kind of a gig in front of the microphones, right? Essentially, hundred percent. Like and I'm, then there's, a, you know, there's a joke about producers. Oh boy, how many producers does it take to screw in a light bulb? One. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> right, you're paying this guy money, and yeah, yeah. I've heard some. Um, now some producers are different. They get very, very involved, and they're like, a, they're part of the trip, right? But other dudes, it's like, what the fuck? So maybe, and if you've never had any experience, you don't know what it's supposed to be like, right? Right. Yeah, so it was very easy for them to just not care what we were doing. (laughs) To be fair, we didn't maybe approach it as professional as they're used to either, because we're like, oh. Yeah, but how how are you supposed to if you don't know? Right, right. Right, the learning was by the doing. Exactly. So we definitely learned from that experience. uh, So you probably want to do that next time you went in the studio. No, what it was what ended up happening is we met this guy Carrie um Kirchlow from RCR Studios and he was a uh, much more willing to get um in the weeds of the thing and like really work out the song. And we ended up taking the tracks from like the the live tracks from there and re-recording like vocals and guitars on it and uh learning how to really how to make a song sound right and how to like align stuff and do harmonies and like how to take a second take, how to analyze. You know, there, there's so much of, like, self-analyzation that goes through a recording that you don't realize, you know what I mean? Like, the mythos is, like, you just go in there, you're one-track Brian Johnson, and you knock it out. But that's, it, it's true for some people, but you got to learn how to do that. And, like, so our second go-around, kind of reworking some of these songs was really um, uh, that process with a more willing, a guy who was willing to sit through me fail harmonies for an hour. <laughs> somebody, somebody with some patience. Right. Someone with some patience. And we've been yeah. working with him since. All right. And his name again? Carrie Kirchlow from RCR Studios. Okay, Carrie. Yeah, Mr. Kirchlow, thank you for being so patient and helping to develop some Cleveland music dudes. Look, we're at the end of the second hour, March 29, 2021 edition. What Pedro Show special guest. Dave and Cody from Sea Level. Hold tight for hour three. March 29, 2021. It's the third hour of the Watch Road Show. What was that, David? Woo! That was Cody. I was just saying, uh, I wanted to say, like, yeah, you've been doing these podcasts for a while, and I actually had a memory that this... I never use that P word. Yeah, you're... Your radio shows, radio show, <laughs> yeah, our, our, our internet show. Basically, it's an MP3 file that lives up on the internet. It was, it's, but it's the first time I ever listened to one of those was uh, maybe ten years ago when we when we first met you and you told us that you'd play our, our music on the radio show. And so me and Dave immediately dove in, and right. I remember that was the first ever. Well, you understand, uh, it's part of my p- trying to pay back the debt to the movie. Well, we appreciate it. D. Boone Georgie got exposure. I should try to give exposure too. Right. So that's all I think behind that. Here, here we go. Watch for Pedro show. Start off the third hour of music with Sea Level doing funk 
for free than Sun Ra. For some reason, when I was hearing uh, you guys do that, I thought, Exotic Forest. Got, uh, Damon Smith, a stand-up guy in St. Louis, turned me on. A Carnival Jones next with, uh, that's Crane, you know, from Tragic Comedy and uh, some projects. I think with the late, great Richard Derrick. Bygones are gone. Still have finally with, for some account, what what about titles? When do they come in with the song right? Um, either post, but a lot of times post. Cody always dogs me for like going in the studio and being like, "Oh, that's a slow C song. It's out of the key of C and it's slow." Yeah, when we're recording, a lot of times they'll be saved as we've had so many songs saved as C song. <laughs> <laughs> when you're talking about, there's like a fucking uh, working title. Yeah, right, yeah, right, right. So, so usually they come later after the song is more fleshed out and. Recorded. No, no, I asked that question because, you know. When I write a song, I have to start with a title, and like fucking nobody I ask does that shit. <laughs> I th- it's definitely part of the writing process, right? Like if you have like a head. I mean, yeah, it's an anchor. It's a focus. Right. You know, right. right. Gotta, maybe it's because I'm I, I'm I'm composing mostly on the bass, so I'm not doing it very traditionally anyway. But I need something to maintain a focus. So I I ask people that just to get their fucking trip on it. But tell me the process anyway. Is it? it was it like when you guys first started where, Dave, you got the fucking uh, bit, the batch of tunes and then uh, Cody starts tearing at it? Or or, or, or do, you, do you make demos where you write everybody's parts? Um, mostly uh, the first way. Like I'll bring up, I'll write the tune and present it to the group and be like, I don't know how to make this connect. And like then we flush it out together. Um, occasionally we'll like jam on a bit and I'll do the opposite. I'll take that thing we came up with write on it and then bring it back but it's a it's either so far we've had that a or b process like here it is let's put it together or take well let this. me let me let me ask about a c part <laughs> yes. is there any cody songs yeah occasionally there's been songs that i wrote um over the years and when we very first started the band with our original drummer jay it was kind of a more minutemen collaborative process where we each kind of would bring in songs and then we would try to work them out for the band. But over the years, the process has turned more into Dave coming up with the skeleton of the song. And then I I'll get... tell you five, five or six times the collaboration process with me and D boom, where we actually tried to write one line each one guy'd write a line here. You write the next line. You write the next line. That's awesome, because I know some songs you guys sing, sing it like that almost. Well, yeah, but that, we only did that, I think it was two nights, mm-hmm. or one night maybe, and five or six songs came out of that. We never tried it again. It's a hard now, process. The good thing about with D. Boone, because I grew up with him playing, learning, I didn't have to teach him anything. I just play the motherfucker, and right. osmosis, he, he'd get a part right like that. The only guy close to that, Nels Clyde. So I'm wondering, Dave... Do you have to teach Cody, or does Cody just pick up on his own trip, uh, he, like, turp it? He just picks up on the, like, we've been playing together for so long, and part of you you and D Boone's, like, mythos it, it really resonates with us because we kind of find the same the same thing, like, in a way, like, I'll, I'll show him the part, and he just, he knows what to do. and Or, or he'll know, like, oh, this is this Dave Wack thing. He's going to try to make sense out of it. I'll keep going until he gives up. And then eventually I win Cody over with a bit. But okay, like, here, let, let me get a little specific on my prejudice. Uh, 
like Deep Boom never wrote me a bass line. He let me write all the bass uh, for his songs and my songs. And uh, so how's it work in your band? Because both you guys... <laughs> Yeah, well, Dave. Dave's never wrote a baseline for me. I remember there's one. Okay. There's one song yeah. very early on where he wrote a bass solo. It was not really a solo. It's more like a breakdown where the bass kind of takes the lead. Right. Which one? Melodic. Yeah, yeah, a melodic sort of bass solo, and uh, but it was never the actual baseline of the song. It was just that part he had the idea of. Okay, it's gonna go to this part, and you're gonna do this thing. But that was the only one time, and that was very early on. Little melodic break, right? Yeah. So most of the time when the Minutemen was getting their songs together, since me and D. Boone didn't have to teach each other, right? It was with Georgie because we, especially with D. Boone, he thought that's what was political about the band was working the drums in. So he didn't want mm. any, he wanted all the breaks to have, you know, yeah. uh, lyrical, huh? Right. Even though the notes are very short on a drum, he still wanted. So that's where we spent the most time in the uh, song crafting. I think that's one of the best parts of Georgie's drumming in the band is it's so lyrical. And when, yeah, I, yeah. when I show um, Minutemen songs to drummers who have maybe never heard of you guys, they immediately pick up on how lyrical George plays. Yeah, really good. And then he, on the other side of that, he also wrote some bitchin' lyrics, especially on uh, Double Nickels. For sure. And some man of Star Fires. Look, I want to play Forsaken. Awesome. Bye for Peter. Show last music for this edition. Sea level with Forsaken. Then from Poland we had Troopa Troop with Day. And then Wizard Sleeve Chrome Intensifier. And finally, Sea Level with A Wall. You know what that means, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. End up in the fucking uh Who's Cow doing that shit. <laughs> That's all. Okay. Uh, sometimes you have it in your band situation, right on tour. Right. Well, yeah, <laughs> for sure. I've definitely done that once or twice. Yeah, the other guys probably really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, d during the situation, uh, have you been composing? Yeah, yeah. We're actually working on a new record now. We got a uh, nine songs pretty much tracked and uh we're recording horns tonight actually so uh, we've been horns. yeah horns. Well, another dimension for the band right so we got a there's this really cool now, now, here, tell me about that because uh well you did a little saxophone uh cody mm -hmm. but who's arranging the horn parts well we we've had horns on the last two records we've done it hasn't been like something that's on every song but it's usually two or three songs per record that we feel could use a horn part and we have a few friends um the that... robin blake sound experiment these jazz guys these fusion this fusion group from the area that i was subbing with on guitar and um we've lately we've been just like until uh pandemic stuff anyone that we're inspired by we've been like incorporating them in our shows and on our sets make trying to trying to make a, a scene of some sorts of music that really moves us. And um, so these guys are really tight, and um, it's, a, we got, like, it's a reggae tune and a funk tune, and it's got these perfect spots for horns. So we reached out to them and sent them the tracks and asked them to put their spin on it. So 
We're about to so, see. So what, you're, what you're saying, to, mm -hmm. <laughs> along yeah. about on way to well, way of answering the question, they arrange their own yes. parts. Yes. yes, we don't arrange anything. We just <laughs> sometimes we might hum out something that we hear, but usually sure, we sure. leave it. We leave it all to the guys yeah, who can actually play. You wave your hand and say, make it be so. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, there's some direct. I gave more direction this time, I think, than I ever did. Like, chord progressions and, like, uh, uh, as far as, like, this is going to be a triad rise, and that's going to uh, go to that. And then you take it where it needs to be, and you can decide the harmony bits. So right. it, it's, a, it's a half and half effort. But they're really going to make it cool. I'll, I'll, then I'll yank my pants down and fire off a rocket. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, like we're talking about that first experience in the studio and the producer. Nowadays, you don't do that. Right? Yourself, producer, or do you, uh, Mr. Curlow? Um, it's kind of half and half. Like, uh, he's got a. He'll tell me when I'm like messing up. Like, as far as like, uh, he'll be like, I, "That harmony sounds too dissonant." I'm like, "I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'll, let me try this." So he'll he'll pretty much let me try to get my vision out and like, uh, um, spell check. When stuff is yeah, or, going like an, or like an editor, right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 happening. That's look, look. Where can people find you on the internet? So we're at c-level44.com for our website, and then uh, c the letter c-level and Spotify, YouTube. Um, yeah, it, they go to your website. There's probably fucking links to that, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, that's good enough. Those guys get enough advertising. They don't need that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Peter on the show. The one I want to advertise is c-level44.com. Hey, that's it. And why, why 44? Ooh, that's a good that's question. That's a great question. <laughs> so 44 has been a number that's kind of followed us, at, not just as a band, but as friends throughout me and Dave's friendship. It was a, it was a nickname that he had for one of his friends in high school. And I might be wrong telling the story, right. but I believe she went to, um, she served. Yeah, in, in the army. Yeah, in the army. And so Dave had wrote this song about how he kind of saw a girl that he knew from high school transition from just a high school girl to like a soldier. And so that song was called 44. It was on our original demo. It never ended up making it onto any other albums so it's not actually around anymore but the number has just followed us and it's just kind of always been like our guiding number that we've we've seen everywhere we've gone and it's kind of just always told us like we're in the right place or doing the right thing uh, uh, here's my take what what is what's four and four equal eight which is and what's what what is eight what is eight sideways? It's a loop. It's an infinity loop. Infinity, <laughs> right? So it's a great fucking number. They love yes. that number eight in Asia. I'll tell you, they love it, especially China. Look, when the new album uh, comes out, please get it to me, okay? It's been big uh, honor to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Keep on, keep it on, brothers. Thank you so much, Walt. We appreciate you. It's been a bit honor. March twenty nine, twenty one, twenty twenty one edition. Walt Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry. Very slow steps. Slow steps. These One steps. might call them baby steps. <laughs> but these steps are hip. This is the podcast where we talk about our newborn baby's steps. But Dave doesn't have a baby. I don't. So he just, just kind of sits back and listens. Stepping and slow. Also, my baby doesn't actually step yet so <laughs> this is that smooth stepping baby podcast march 29 2021 second hour of the Watt pedro show and we're gonna do uh
Easy four. Easy four. Easy four. Easy four. Two, three. Bing, bada, boom. Boom, bada, binga.